Welcome, everybody. Today is September 1st, 2021. I can't believe it's September. That's awesome. Um, I'm Trey Dobson, Chief Medical Officer at Southwestern Vermont Medical Center and an emergency medicine physician with Dartmouth Hitchcock Health. And this is Medical Matters Weekly, a show about the aspects of healthcare that matter to you most. My guest today is Kath Burns, the Clinical Supervisor for Vermont's COVID Support Programs and the Quality Director for Vermont Care Partners. I'll start off a little bit. Uh, first off, welcome, Kath. We're excited you're here. Hi, thanks for having me, Trey. It's nice to be here. Uh, so, so um, just a little bit about Kath. Uh, her name's Catherine. She goes by Kath. She is a licensed psychologist doctorate. She served in the current role at the Vermont Care Partner since 2015. She also worked in the Vermont Designated Agency System since 1997. And if you don't know what the Designated Agency System is, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, and it goes on and on. She has a long list. She earned a PhD in developmental psychology and a master's degree in psychology from the University of Vermont. And she was also across the country in Boulder, Colorado, uh, where she earned a master's degree in educational psychology. So what were you doing in Boulder besides education? Well, what do you think? I was doing a lot of hiking and biking and skiing. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. I actually was just out that way last week myself and uh, love the flat irons and love yeah. it. So that's great. Well, yeah. so tell us a little bit skiing and, uh, and out there when, you, when we're going to get into the work aspect, but let's yeah. get to know you a little bit. Um, what are your interests and then how did you get into what you do now? Sure. Well, probably my main interest is that I'm a happy family member. I have two teenagers and um, and an exchange student from Hungary because I needed another 17-year-old to feed. And so my interests are taking care of them. And I've got a really fun family and we like to hike and bike and travel and do whatever we can, really. If it involves going up a hill, pretty much I'm in. And um, That's and awesome. I, yeah, yeah. I'm really lucky. I live in a great place. And um, I've been so thankful for having the interest that I do during this last you know, stretch of time in particular. It's great. And you're yeah. in central Vermont, right? I'm in, I'm up in Richmond, actually. I'm closer Richmond. to Burlington. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, I got involved in this field, frankly, when I was still in college about 8,000 years ago, because I was interested in, you know, understanding how people work more and figuring out how I could contribute. That's sort of the main theme is um, finding a way to contribute. And, and I've done that in different ways. And um, I worked in Colorado in different roles for a while in schools, but then I came back to Vermont to finish my PhD and then um, and got involved with the designated agency system then and, um, and while I was finishing my degree. And then I became licensed as a clinical psychologist. So I, I, I have a great professional life. I do a lot of interesting things. Well, you're very optimistic. And I think that comes with uh, what you do. And that's great to hear. So tell us a little bit about the Vermont designated agency or designated agencies in general, and actually how they relate to the state of Vermont, Vermont because not all states have designated agencies, at least yeah. set up in this way. Yeah, they don't. And I think it's, it is very unique to Vermont. And I think a really effective system. A lot of people don't realize that despite all the frustrations people often feel with our system, we actually have some of the best rates of supporting people in the country. So the designated agency system is, uh, the way it works is that the state of Vermont sets policy with the legislature, and then they essentially um, contract or work with different agencies to fulfill those policies. So they develop this designated agency system 
which is a group of, there's 11 agent ag agencies that are designated to provide services to people who have mental health conditions, substance use disorders, and intellectual and developmental disabilities, and all of their families and neighbors and the community. So it's actually a very broad scope of work. And then in addition to that, there's five other agencies that are called special service agencies that have very specific purposes. So several of those serve only people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, and one serves only kids and youth. So about 17 or so in the state 16. then? Yeah, 16. And, and they, they kind of mirror, now here's my understanding as an emergency medicine physician, yeah. and then and also in my work with, you know, we have a local designated agency that's United Counseling Services, yeah. uh, Brattleboro over and uh, has a different designated um, uh, agency. Uh, but generally, they are that huge wraparound services, basically everything. Uh, and then they kind of mirror the, the health service areas that hospitals serve in, in some sort of fashion. Is that right? Yeah, more or less. There's definitely some overlap. But the idea is that the agencies are located in communities so they can be responsive to those unique community needs. And so while each agency is supposed to provide a certain core set of services like mental health emergency responding, mm -hmm. um, they might do that in different ways depending upon where they are, because quite frankly, services in, in Burlington might look really different from services in Bennington County. And that's all right, because the needs might be different. Absolutely. It's totally, it's totally all right, because it's great to have some standardization, because that's what leads to predictable outcomes. But then you need that inherent flexibility for different circumstances. Uh, you said that Burlington might have really strong services, but be lacking in one area. Uh, and Bennington might be the opposite and Montpelier might be the opposite. In, in right. That way. So, right. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about um, these, these agencies that you've worked for and, and what you do exactly. Yeah. So um, I started out in Vermont. I was actually recruited um, through one of my professors to work for Washington County Mental Health. And that's mm -hmm. probably where I spent the bulk of my time. I started as a behavioral clinicians supporting kids in schools with mental health conditions and then sort of walked up the ranks from there. I, I was a clinical director. Uh, actually, before that, I ran a program for kids with autism and I did a lot of home visiting while supporting all my staff and managing a budget. And then I was, you know, you, you kind of work your way up. I was a clinical director for a while in the children's world. And then I was in leadership at Washington County. And then for a number of reasons, I uh, needed to be closer to home. So I was lucky to work with Howard Center for a little while, working <laughs> on quality improvement, because a lot of my PhD was really working on policy and trying to understand how programs make impact. And so I started to work on that with Howard. And then it just became a natural progression to move over to Vermont Care Partners so I could work with all the agencies in this role of trying to understand impact and promote quality and innovation across the network. And then what I found was I kind of missed my clinical life. I really love, I really love working with kids and families. And I approached a local pediatric office and asked them if they'd be interested in having an independent psychologist working with them. And they basically said, how soon can you get here? And I've been, <laughs> and I've been working with them ever since, just trying to help them grow their mental health services embedded there. So I feel really lucky. I do a lot of interesting things. So that, so you work um, for the designated agency, but you are stationed at a pediatric office. Is that an accurate description? No. Oh, I mean, that's actually, I, I spend half my life working for Vermont Care Partners, doing what we'll be talking about most today. Yes. And then by choice, I spend half my life as a practicing practitioner. And I, I bring that up because I find in the work I do at Vermont Care Partners, I have a little bit more street credibility, shall we say, by saying I'm also a practitioner. 
Right. So a lot of the things that I talk about and promote through COVID Sport VT is actually stuff I work with people to do when they're sitting in the office with me. You know, actually, I was just thinking, this is pretty timely. I think one of the last um, shows that uh, that we did over the past few weeks was with United Counseling Services and with their uh, medical director, Dr. Al- Dr. Alia Reeves. So yep. um, I know people enjoyed that show, so they're going to be listening in. Well, talk to me a little bit about Vermont Care Partners then. I will. You know, Vermont Care Partners, we're, we're actually a small number of people. You know, we're a very small organization, but our job is to really do a number of different things for this group of 16 agencies. And the idea, if you can imagine a fleet of ships, all right, we're trying, of all different shapes and sizes, we're trying to keep them going in the same direction, okay? And we do that by, there's a a couple of us, not me, who spend time at the legislature working on advocacy and policy development, which is really important. We listen for and try to provide network support to all of the agencies, you know, if they need trainings in certain areas or, you know, for instance, I do a lot of work on helping people work with outcomes. Um, We try to bring in innovative programs and trainings where we can. Um, We have a huge effort around technology and innovation. A number of the agencies had to flip over their medical records, which um, our IT director said is akin to open heart surgery for all of the agencies. It's it's brutal. Yeah. And so, you know, we supported that whole process Um, and we do a lot of consulting with the agencies where needed and a ton of grant writing and management to try to bring money in um, where we can. Um, And it's the the group has been around for a while and it's actually sort of two different branches of this advocacy and lobbying. And then this other branch that I'm in, which really looks at quality improvement, HIT and uh, innovation. And so these, um, just for the audience here, again, these are these designated agencies that are really focused on mental health, uh, substance abuse, and, you know, COVID has shined the light on this need. Um, Unfortunately, it's caused a lot of need, but it's also done something. It's opened people's minds, I believe, in the community that uh, to reduce some of the stigma associated uh, with many of these Uh, disease processes, and they are disease processes, just like uh, the medical aspects that we take care of. Mm -hmm. So behind you on your, um, on your backdrop, it says COVID support Vermont. So uh, what, what, what's your involvement there? And what does that mean? Yeah, let me tell you about that. And can I just add on the agencies on mental health, substance use, but I really want to make sure people remember, they also work on intellectual and developmental disabilities. Great. And oftentimes people fall across all those categories. Sure. Like humans don't like to be in one box. So I just want to make sure I have that out there. Thank you. Yeah. So COVID support VT. Okay. So when um, the state is declared a state of emergency because of a disaster, FEMA releases these funds for a crisis counseling program. And I worked on the same thing after Hurricane Irene, which I guess is just 10 years ago now. Right. And, and the, the point of these funds is to develop services and supports that augment existing supports to help promote wellness and coping during this time. Mm-hmm. And the genesis of all this was that was just what just what you were talking about. Stigma would keep people from and fear of being, you know, fear of being made fun of or thought less of would keep people from seeking supports when, frankly, when your house gets washed away by a flood, it's stressful. And a number of people develop mental health conditions because of that. And so it's an effort to try to do something about that. Now, um, in this round, um, you know, what's so unique about this is that (laughs) this state of emergency is everyone, right? And it affects me and you and everybody who's listening. And um, with the first 
FEMA grant, I was actually given a list of names of people. And I live, me and my teams would literally go knock on doors and say, how you doing? And check on them and try to give them support and then leave. And there clearly we can't do that now. And so we've developed some things, which we'll be talking about, I know, to try to support people in a variety of ways. So the funds come from FEMA. They funnel their way through Vermont government and Vermont Care Partners is administering the grant. So early on, it's been a year now, July, so would have been, I'm mixing up my years. So 2020 in the summer, these funds came through and um, I hired uh, a team of people and, um, and then we've been marching ever since. And we've had an extension and then we just had another extension. Currently we're going through December. You talk about mix, mixing up years. Boy, that is what I've done with this COVID. It is really, I can't remember if I'm talking about 2020 or 2021. I think everyone's faced with that. So before we go into um, what what your organization, what the grant actually is, is funding you to do, uh, let's talk about the problem a little bit, you know, sort of the diagnosis and then and then the, the treatment. What do you see? And then what is, what is the uh, literature support are some of the biggest needs that have come about um, and biggest concerns with COVID. I mean, I will tell you that it's hard because uh, as, a, as a physician, I happen to have the benefit of, of seeing lots uh, because people come in the emergency department. But if I'm not there, I'm just in a community, I really don't know where the stressors are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, what we're seeing and hearing through this project and through my own work is mirroring what we're reading about nationally. So what uh, last I read about two thirds, at least two thirds of adults were indicating this has been the most stressful time of their life. And their stress has been increasing over the course of the pandemic. 80% of kids in this one study I read said this last year, this remote learning thing was terrible. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're saying, I didn't really learn. It wasn't good for me. I felt isolated and sad. And, um, and we're at, and then now what I'm seeing, cause I'm doing more work with some hospitals and healthcare providers is that people are burned out and feeling compassion fatigue and thinking with this new Delta variant, this new wave, they're saying, oh man, how can I do this? And so really a real uptick in stress, fatigue, anxiety about when will this end? So that's what I'm seeing. Is that what you're seeing too when you're at work? It is. And then the other, so that's, that's the first. Um, And that's not just with patients, that's with our staff, colleagues, friends, and family, as you were were alluding to. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess one of the things that I'm seeing is, is just an exacerbation of what the underlying um, illness is. Now, I, I admit this is anecdotal, it's not scientific, but whether, um, it, whether it was a, a substance use disorder or, or even uh, cognitive problems, um, it's just all st- uh, the stress, uh, the lack of support has, has inflamed them. And then the, the resources aren't there because they're mm-hmm. overwhelmed. And so it just almost just uh, builds upon itself. I think you're spot on, you know, nationally, what we're seeing is that anybody with a pre-existing mental health substance use disorder or medical condition, anyone with an intellectual disability, elders, although that's gotten a little better, transition age youth, so kids 18 to 24, um, persons of color, person who are people who are already living in poverty, who am I forgetting? Caregivers, that's like everybody, caregivers, Mm -hmm. anybody, essential workers, which goes beyond medical providers, those are the people that are in your quick mart and at the grocery store, right? Um, And then first responders, and the list really goes on. All of those people have been, are reporting and are at increased risk for increased anxiety, depression, and stress as a result of just living in this pandemic. 
Um, And so certainly, and one of the things I do in the workshops is I have people indicate how many groups they identify with. And typically it's at least three. So it's like the more groups you're in, the more you're at risk of stress. And that's not, that's not to bum them out, but it's more, you know, the first step is to be aware of your sort of risk for stress. So then you could do something about it. Right. So before we kind of go into some of what the program does to try to address these needs, I actually wanted to tell the audience something that's been on my mind and you just brought it up and it's really a part of almost everything that we're doing today. And that is, you know, we talked about, um, you mentioned that, that the past year for students being at home, how, um, how difficult that was and then how we're seeing the effects uh, um, and what's happened is the country's become so divisive. The com- communication has been so divided. There's been a lot of finger pointing, a lot of looking back. And we have to remember, I think people were dealing with the situation as it was presented. There was no better alternative at the time. And so for anything, whether we're talking about school, education, designing healthcare, employment, we really should be looking at the future and what we can do together rather than uh, divide on our own individual beliefs, our own politics. That is not going to get us through this pandemic in any That's short right. term. So I just wanted to bring that out. So let's talk a little bit uh, about how uh, the COVID support Vermont is trying to uh, reach out to people and address some of their needs. Yeah, sure. So I had mentioned early on um, that we were, we were all stuck in our houses, so I couldn't go knock on doors. So the first thing we did was we, which was atypical for me, frankly, I'm used to talking to people in person, right? The first thing we did is we decided to develop this website, which I believe is gonna be put someplace where people can see it who are listening today. Great. Um, and the idea is that would start as the first line of defense to provide information, resources, tips, some self-assessment, there's videos there for people to go to learn to what to do to cope. Um, and then um, we developed a call center. So you can reach, anybody can reach that Monday through Friday, eight to six by calling 211 and selecting option two. And we decided to have it in 211 because it's easy. Sure. And, yep, and we have a Spanish speaking counselor. We have access to interpreter services and the Spanish speaking counselor, Cecilia also uses WhatsApp and has done active outreach to the migrant population and actually does sit in clinics and places to actively find them, which is great that a huge piece of what we do, and we had over 3000 participants in this since February, is we offer all these workshops and support groups. Some are by request. I do a ton by request to different organizations and some are just ongoing and people can find them on our website, targeting sort of self-assessment, coping, how to deal with compassion fatigue, grief, how to feel better through gratitude. We have an activities group trying to get people to meet each other just to be together. We have coping through writing, like we're just, we're just trying to be creative. You know, tonight I'm running a workshop at four o'clock for parents about getting back to school. How's that going? How to cope? Um, and uh, we're just constantly brainstorming what else we can do. We do a lot of outreach through the food um, distribution centers, the food shelves. I mean, we just do whatever we can. Um, so- and we hire consultants to come in and run, our, run other things for us too that we might not be experts in. So that's a quick overview. That's great. I'm going to ask a more difficult question. That's okay. How do you, how do you help staff become uh, or, or continue being motivated and inspired with such a, a daunting task that uh, likely you don't see the, the immediate result from what you're doing? And I, I can also imagine that at some point 
uh, people can feel lost because what is the answer? Because everyone wants an answer. I want an answer to a problem, especially as an emergency physician. What's the problem? Let me give the answer. And that's not the case with, with this situation. Right. Do you mean my staff or just people in general? My oh, staff. Your, your staff, actually, just a little yeah. bit. The people yeah. doing the work there. I got to tell you, my staff is awesome. You know, I've hired these people who they want to make a difference. They want to be helpful. I mean, this is a short term grant. This is not like they're going to have this job forever. And these people, the reason. So Cecilia, Nate, Alex, Megan, these are people who answer the phone when you call and they are people trained in the FEMA model, they want to make a difference. And that's part of how they cope is they're like, I'm in this darn thing. I may as well try to help people while I'm in it. And they all bring special talents that they also get to use. And we meet regularly together and we talk about things that are hard and, and we try to give each other breaks. And, you know, there are times where I'm like, I'm a little overwhelmed and they pick something up and vice versa. We're a really good team. I feel extremely lucky to work with them. And we have a great um, marketing team, too, because I don't know the first thing about that. And it's really important to have people that know how to pump out information. So it really has made a difference. But I also the other thing I would offer is um, part of their workday is they're supposed to leave their desk and practice what they're telling other people to do. And if they don't, we have a conversation about that. So that's great. For the non-staff, for the clients, um, are you are you finding that a lot of it is, uh, at least I am as well, um, is support, communication, transparency, and uh, being there for them without something extremely tangible? And that's, again, back to what I'm saying as an emergency physician, I want to do something to fix it, uh, provide something that fixes it. Uh, but in this situation, that, that doesn't really it doesn't really, there's really nothing to do for some of these folks. You can't fix the particular problem, but you can listen and more than listen, you can support and provide guidance that that seems to work really well right now. Yeah. And you know, there's actually good research to, to say more than that, you know, like if you can get people going uh, to develop some really basic strategies during their day to just to take good care of themselves. And that doesn't mm-hmm. go take a yoga class. Like I can't tell you how many people get mad when they think I'm going to suggest a yoga class. It's right. basic stuff like working on your sleep, getting outside, eating well, um, connecting with a friend outside your home, uh, watching your substance use and your relationship to things that you pick up to drink and smoke, right? Mm-hmm. And, and really uh, trying hard to manage your conditions. If we can get people doing those things, it doesn't solve the problem, which is the pandemic, but it helps them manage it better. And the, and the case in point would be, there was a point in the winter where I said to a colleague, this stuff doesn't work. Are you kidding me? I'm telling all these people to do this. And she said to me, really? Think about how bad you'd feel if you weren't doing it. Oh, like, right. Right. So, you know, I, I think it's really important um, while we listen and support and connect people to services and help them manage their anxious thoughts and worried thoughts better. It's, it's also important to empower people to realize that they can do some simple things on their own just to help them manage this unbearable time better. You know, right. but, but not sell them a fake bill of sale that it's going to solve it because it won't, but it'll make it more manageable. Well, that's great. So can you share with us, Kath, a, a good success story? I can. There's so many. You know, um, I was thinking about that. One related to healthcare as I was working with one leader in healthcare who was trying to really make sure her staff was doing fine and was getting so burned out as she was managing her own worries. And she and I met separately and and tried to talk about some ways that she could take better care of herself and find ways to spell herself out through her day 
day at work and that as well as at home, I connected to her some resources. We connected again a couple of weeks later and she's like, I really didn't think it would help, but it did. And that whole intervention took maybe a half an hour. And then we get regular feedback from people who participate in our workshop saying, I'm just so thankful to have a little bit of time to think about how to take care of myself. And it makes a big difference. And then the one other I would offer is Cecilia, who's one of our counselors, just sitting with people who are migrant workers. She talked about one individual who really is afraid of getting involved in many systems because of their status. And she was able to help that person find ways to cope, help them connect with their family in Mexico. And they felt so much better. And to me, that's massive, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Great. So um, what do you see are some of the next steps and what are you looking forward towards, uh, you know, professionally and for the organization itself? Yeah, I, I would say, I think what I'm really looking forward to is these services not being needed because it means the pandemic's over, right? I right. think we're all looking forward to that. But you had mentioned at the beginning of the show that it's actually been a positive thing is that it's highlighted that mental health is something that's important and stigma is something we should do something about. And I'm actually excited about how much people are responding to us, um, even outside of this FEMA grant saying, we really need to, this wellness thing is a thing and it helps. And, and people are, organizations are trying to think creatively about how, how to fold this in in a different way, in a more meaningful way. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I'm hopeful that we can keep that up because there's not enough therapists out there for everybody to have their own therapist to work on it, but there's a lot people individually can do. What can uh, people listening here in the audience, um, how can they get a hold of, of the program or maybe refer someone to that program they know, a friend or a family member? Sure. There's two easy ways to do that. One is by calling 211 and selecting option two. There's someone sitting there right now that answer the phone. The other is to go to our website, which I know is up there someplace. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a place there where all the information about how to contact us is there. You can request a workshop there. You can enroll in a workshop or support group there. It's all confidential. We won't be giving out your name or collecting addresses and selling them. And you can also refer somebody there to have us call them if they give you permission. So that's kind of the gateway in. That's great. And for the audience that are listening and not watching, uh, listening on the podcast, uh, I don't have the website in my head, but I do know all you need to do is probably Google COVID support Vermont and it would come right up there. Um, So Kat, we unbelievably are out of time here and we didn't even get into some of the aspects I know you probably wanted to share. So the website, the staff, those are places to to get some of that. We can have you back on the show in six months, uh, one of your colleagues. That would be great. Maybe we'll be doing them in person then. Who knows? I'd love it. Um, So thank you for joining us today on Medical Matters Weekly. Happy to be here. Thank you. I also thank uh, Mike Cutler from CAT TV, Ray Smith from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare, Ashley Jowett from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare. Next week, we will have Caitlin Boyd uh, and also Chad DeGreener, uh, both um, physical therapists and uh, from SVMC Pulmonary Rehabilitation. And uh, you can send your questions ahead of time to wellness at svhealthcare.org. I'm Trey Dobson. Go out and find joy in everything you do, even in the face of adversity. And we will see you next week.